Amen. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But as we confess our sins, God, who is faithful to us, forgives our sins and cleanses us from all our righteousness. Let us then confess our sins unto God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For we justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may be mindful of your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God in his mercy has given his only Son to die for you, and for his sake forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of the word, I therefore forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
and us gracious Lord. see that of ourselves we have no strength. By your mighty power, defend us from all adversities that may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The readings of the Holy Scriptures 
The Old Testament reading for this, the second Sunday in Lent, is from the book of Genesis, the 17th chapter. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. reading from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, the fifth chapter. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom We have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
we stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 8th chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in the when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, o Christ. Together we confess our holy Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the epistle lesson, the fifth chapter of Romans, these words. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by the faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and not this only, but we rejoice also in our sufferings. This is our text. Dear friends in our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm old enough to remember a time when so much of our computerese that we speak today, our computer language, meant something significantly different than what it does today, the words that we use in computerese and how differently they used to mean. For example, I remember the day when a hacker was either a taxi cab driver or someone who enthusiastically pursued some sort of weekend sport, be it tennis or golf or whatever it might be. The day when to freeze up was something that you did if you went to visit northern Minnesota any time between September and May. A day when crashing is what you didn't want to do to your car. A day when a port was either where you dock a ship or it was the sweet brandy fortified wine that was served after dinner. A day when a mouse was a rodent and a ram was a male sheep and a worm was used for fishing and fishing was spelled with an F and not with a PH and it meant you going out and luring a slimy little creature to take your bait, but now it means just the opposite, that that slimy little creature out there baits your computer so that he or she can get all of your personal and financial information from you. A day when a Trojan horse was what the Greeks hid inside of in order to gain access and entrance into Troy, but now refers to what gets into your computer to erase your hard drive, which used to be a thousand miles a day in a car. Times have changed. Words have changed. And it's interesting, isn't it? Hacker, worm, fishing, Trojan horse. In the computer world, they all refer to someone or to some way of gaining access to some place that you don't really deserve to be a place that doesn't belong to you, namely inside of someone else's computer. Someone on the outside, getting inside to a place where they could not naturally be and really don't at all belong. Notice that the Apostle Paul in our text for today talks about us gaining place and gaining access to a place where we, by nature, really don't belong either. A place where, by nature, we don't have a right to be, namely gaining access into the presence of the one who, in our Old Testament lesson for today, appeared unto Abraham and identified himself as El Shaddai, as God Almighty, the Holy One who then commands Abraham, Abraham, walk blamelessly before me. Blamelessly, Abraham, Tamim, in the Hebrew, perfectly, without spot, without any blemish, walk perfectly before me, Abraham, not the slightest imperfection. And what does Abram do? Does he step up blamelessly before El Shaddai, before God Almighty, as though he could rightly claim a place on the merits and basis of what he had done? 
No. Abram does the only thing that a sinner can do. He does the only thing that any sinner could ever do, helplessly. Scripture tells us, and you heard it in the Old Testament lesson, Abram falls on his face before the Lord Almighty, throwing himself down before the undeserved mercy of El Shaddai, of God Almighty, his posture indicating that he is at a place now where he doesn't even deserve to be. You see, we don't get from the outside to the inside with God because of our efforts or because of our works or because of who we are, because of what we've done. God's response to any and to every notion that anyone can stand blamelessly before him on the basis of his own efforts or his own works or his own righteousness must always and will forever be access denied. Access denied because as the apostle who wrote today's epistle lesson said, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Access denied because all children born of sinners are, he says, by nature, children of God's wrath like the rest of mankind. Access denied because we are by birth and nature, St. Paul says, dead. And this is the God of the living, and we by nature are dead in our transgressions and our sins, he says. Access denied because we too, apart from Christ, would be excluded, the apostle says, from the commonwealth of Israel. We'd be, he says, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God even in this world. Access denied. If any of us should think for even a moment that someone like a holy hacker would be able to worm his way or fish his way through some man-made Trojan horse of good works into the presence of God Almighty. There's no way to sneak into the city of God like the Greeks slipped surreptitiously into the city of Troy. There's simply no way. Scripture is abundantly clear regarding access into the presence of God. You know what it says? It says no one is justified by the law before God. We maintain, St. Paul says, that man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You can't, by keeping it, get there and gain access because you won't keep it perfectly. Therefore, as our text for today says, and thank God that it does, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access into this grace in which we now stand. That's how we are, where we by grace, his undeserved gift are, standing in the presence of God. Now in Christ Jesus, scripture says, you who were formerly far off have been brought near unto God. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. The same blood of Christ of which St. Peter speaks when he says, know this, that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood, even the blood of a lamb unblemished, perfect, spotless, the blood of Christ. For the blood of Jesus God's Son, St. John says, cleanses us from all of our sins, bought back and brought back by the blood of Jesus Christ.
And so then scripture says once again, you're no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, but now you are fellow citizens with the saints and you are by this grace and the work of Christ members of the household of God. Strangers and aliens to earth we indeed are, as were Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the saints of old, strangers and aliens to earth though, because as the apostle says elsewhere, our citizenship is in heaven. That's where our citizenship is, and that's why we're strangers and aliens here on earth. Our citizenship is there in heaven in that city spoken of by the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, the city without created light, because the uncreated light of Christ is going to shine forever upon it, and nothing unclean, St. John says, nothing unclean shall even enter into it, but only those whose names are written in the book of the Lamb. Dear friends, access is ever and only granted into the holy city through the blood of the Lamb. There is no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No one comes unto the Father but by me. There is salvation, Scripture tells us, in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. It's Christ and Christ alone. And that's how God brought us from the outside to the inside. That's how our text says we've gained access into this grace in which we now stand through the blood of the Lamb who takes away the sin of all the world. And note well too, dear friends, that our text says that we're standing in the grace of God. All too many of us who have been saved by God's grace spend far too much of our lives timidly crawling around, as it were, on all four. Fearful of our past catching up to us, afraid of all the temptations and the dangers that are around us in the world, immobilized by what the future might bring to us, and especially in these financial times, we feel especially vulnerable to the world around us and to things that might be coming. But friends, our past, if that's what would haunt us and keep us on all fours, our past belongs to Christ. He bought it. He claimed it. He owns it. He purchased it with his own blood. He became our sinful past for us. In the present, that's his as well. You were bought with a price, St. Paul says. You belong to him. Past and present, they're both his because we're his, and by God's grace, he's ours. And so get up off all fours when your head is bowed down to the ground because you're afraid to, to look behind you at your past, or you're afraid to look at either right or left because of what's around you in the world, and you're afraid to look to the future and ahead of yourself because of what might be coming down the road. The future as well as the past and present belong to him. Get up off all four, stand in God's grace where your eyes are fixed, as the choir sang today, upon Jesus, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and now he's seated at the right hand of God. Consider him that you then don't grow weary and lose heart. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Consider him 
and stop concerning yourselves so much with fear for the future. Indeed, doesn't scripture say, as we heard in the sermon last Sunday, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That was the confidence that enabled St. Paul to stand in the grace of God, to look his troubles, and he certainly had his share, to look his troubles squarely in the eye, and to say what he says in today's text, when he says, we rejoice also in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. Times, like some of you have, right now are times to stand in the grace of God and even to rejoice in your times of suffering. Tough times, trying times, times of struggling with physical illness and especially illnesses and the diseases that don't seem to heal. Struggling with stubborn, chronic, and terminal illnesses. Not only our own, but those of people that we love. Times of struggling with inner conflicts, with family conflicts, with work-related conflicts, with daunting financial conflicts and crises of our own times. Other insecurities and terrors of simply living in a world that always seems to be teetering on the edge of some crisis or the other. Joy, in times such as these, a quiet joy in times such as these. Why? Because through the sufferings of this earth, and though the sufferings of this earth might rob us of some of earth's pleasures, and indeed many of earth's treasures, they cannot rob us of heaven's pleasures. They cannot touch heaven's treasures that far exceed and excel anything that this earth has to offer you. And that's why St. Paul could at another time and another place write to suffering Christians these words of promise that are really for Christ's people of every age. I consider, he said, that the sufferings of this present time aren't even worthy to be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. The promise of that glory that has yet to be revealed to us, that inheritance, Scripture calls it, that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ, as St. Peter says, is an inheritance that's undefiled. It's not going to fade away like so many of our reserves in our earth and in our world do. It's an inheritance that's not going to fade away because it's reserved for you by God in heaven, you who are protected by the power of God through faith, Peter says, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, he says, you now greatly rejoice even though for a little while you're distressed by various trials. The promise of that glorious inheritance that belongs to those who belong to Christ enables us to persevere even when times are tough even in times of suffering these aren't simply the pious platitudes that preachers preach these are the promises of almighty god to his people to those who suffer in his name and for his sake indeed the greatest blessings that you have in life your eternal salvation came through suffering not your suffering but through the suffering of the one who suffered hell for you, Christ our Lord. 
Now there are, to be sure, those in our day who prefer a crossless kind of a Christianity, a crossless Christ. After all, it's a much more marketable, marketable thing, more desirable thing in a world that would despise a crucified Christ. That, of course, is nothing new. In fact, wasn't that exactly what Peter wanted in our gospel for today? Remember, Jesus told his disciples plainly, as your bulletin cover says, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be killed. And what was it that Peter then did? Peter took Jesus aside, Scripture says, and he began to rebuke Jesus. That's what he did. And Jesus then, in turn, rebuked Peter, remember? And he said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but you're setting your mind on the things of men. His son on the cross for the sins of us all, that's God's thing. A crossless Christ and a crossless Christianity, those are the things of man. It reminds me of something I shared with some of you in a class a couple of weeks ago. Something a member shared with me about a tour of an old California mission which she chaperoned for her son's class. As the public school class approached the chancel of the 200-plus-year-old Spanish mission, a number of the kids in the class were awestruck by what they saw. What did they see? They saw a cross. And there was a man on the cross. What's that man doing up there, one of the little kids asked. Another equally surprised said, what did he do? Why is he up there? And the docent leading the tour replied, well, you'll have to ask your parents. And so also the student's teacher replied, ask your mom or your dad. Teacher and docent alike knew at least the basic answers to the question, but real or perceived school policy muted both. Not so the nine-year-old son of the mother who told me the story. Outside the old mission chapel, truth be told, a small boy with classmates gathered about him was telling them all about the man up there. Telling them about the man up there and who he is and what he had done for all of them, for all of the world, on the cross. These children, you see, had seen many crosses. Actors and actresses and Hollywood and singers in our day wear them all the time. To be sure, out here, the unoccupied cross is a popular piece of custom jewelry. It's worn about the neck of Christian and non-Christian alike. But Christ and him crucified, a man on the cross, Christ on the cross, that's the stuff that shapes and forms the greatest of confessions made by confessors of every age, be it the apostolic confession of Peter that we heard in today's gospel, that elderly son of a fisherman, or Paul, the elderly son of a tent maker who lived two millennia ago, or be it the bold confession of a nine-year-old son of a California physician two millennia later. Makes no difference. That's the stuff of the gospel of God. Christ and him crucified for the sins of all the world. Christ, through whom access denied, becomes access granted. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Robert Latham, 
who continues to rehabilitate for multiple strokes, the homebound and interned of our congregation, and the many among us undergoing medical tests and treatment. For these and for all we pray. Lord God, most compassionate, who, while we were yet sinners, gave your Son, Jesus the Christ, to die for us all, and have, through Spirit-given faith in him, granted us access to the riches of your salvation. Preserve and uphold faith among your own through the faithful use of your word and sacraments, that preserved by them through every trial unto the end, we may enjoy the inheritance of all the saints. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father of our Lord Jesus, whose word is truth, bless pastors and church leaders and your people with devotion to the truth, that all might be mindful of the things of God and be readied to take up the crosses that you have foretold to those who confess boldly the truth, that we might bear them in your strength proudly, not being ashamed of Christ here below, knowing he will confess his own boldly in heaven. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, receive our Lenten and continual repentant cry for forgiveness that you gladly grant for the sake of Christ. And enable us by your Holy Spirit to amend our sinful ways, and by that same Spirit guide our steps in the way pleasing to you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord of the nations, whose might and wisdom governs all things, prosper the labor of those who work to bring peace and justice to the nations of the world. Bless our president and governor, legislatures and judiciaries, that laws may be formed and judged and enforced that are consistent with your expressed will for mankind and your creation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Sanctify our homes, Lord, with your presence, and bless them with joy. Keep our children in the grace of their baptism, and enable their parents to bring them up in lives of faith and devotion. Unite the members of all families in a spirit of affection and service, that they may show your praise in our land and in all the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Almighty Father, whose hand of giving is bounteous, enable your people to pity those who truly stand in need, especially those of the family of Christ, and help to supply their need according to that which has been supplied to us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord of highest help, bless those who suffer affliction of mind or soul or of body, who are recovering from procedure or receiving treatment. Be with Hugh Ryan and J.C. Cox, Hank Harrington, Robert Latham, the homebound and infirmed, those undergoing tests or treatment, that they and we all might recall that through the suffering that you permit, you also fashion in your people endurance, Christian character, and hope in our promised glorious destiny. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. All these things, and whatever else you know that we need, grant us, dear Father, for the sake of him who died and rose again, and now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, and who has taught your people to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Merciful God, we humbly implore you to cast the bright beams of your light upon your church, that we, being instructed by the doctrine of the blessed apostles, may walk in the light of your truth and finally attain to the light of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Receive now the benediction of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look with favor upon you and give you his peace. Amen.